0: Hello everyone and welcome to We Have Solutions, an AT Help Desk podcast brought to you by Neil Squire. A podcast where we talk about assistive technology, disabilities, breaking down barriers to accessibility and more. On today's episode we are joined by occupational therapist Alain Desiel. Alain brings with him years of experience in the field and I thoroughly enjoyed sitting down with him and learning more about what he does. Tune in as we explore all things OT, including case studies, tips for good ergonomics, success stories, and more. Without further ado, here's Elaine. Thanks for joining me today. I'm uh, I'm glad that you're here. I actually know uh, probably less about OTs than than some other people uh, in the organization. So I'm going to be learning and uh, and hosting at the same time. So. Uh, Perfect. I'll I'll try my best to uh, let <laughs> you
1: know what what I do and what OT does.
0: Awesome. So let's start, and I want to know a little bit about Alain. Um, what was kind of what was your path to becoming an OT like? When did that start? Uh, whether it was you know as a as a child or at some point in your career, you realized that it was something you wanted to do.
1: Well, actually. Um... I never thought of being an OT. Mm-hmm. My first um, interactions with, with OTs was when I was working as a um, as an aide. I guess it's uh, mm-hmm. in um, with intellectually uh, in the intellectually disability field. Right. Yes. So I was working um on call and um during my bachelor's degree okay Uh, yeah so um while working in the uh, mentally uh, handicapped field um I worked along OTs and then I saw what they were doing and I found that interesting
0: right so at the time um, sorry at the time uh your bachelor degree was was that in what field yeah, I was doing a bachelor's
1: in science, so oh. biology, uh, with a specialization in molecular biology. Wow. Yeah, so I, th- I finished my bachelor's, and then um, I started a master's right, right after that, and um, in um, bio- biomedical engineering. Right. And um, while doing my master's, I continued working um, in the um, disability field also until I finished a master's and then I went to work in the uh, pharmaceutical field for
0: a couple of years. Right.
1: I don't think I knew that.
0: I don't think I knew you worked in the pharmaceutical field for a couple of years. How was that? What was that like? It, it was very interesting.
1: Very hmm. interesting. The first, my first um, foray in pharmaceuticals, I was um, in doing clinical trials. Oh, okay. So, uh, Yeah. I started by working um, as a, a manager in um, the telemedicine department. Okay. So basically we were doing um, um, clinical, clinical research yeah. and we were gathering um, um, car- cardiac information on the drug trials that the different um, companies were, were doing. So I did that for a couple of years, and then I um, went into another branch of pharmaceuticals where in manufacturing. So basically I was making the drugs. so I was working in um, writing and updating the, um, the formulas, the manufacturing oh. formulas for um, producing the different
0: drugs. Okay, I always thought that part of it was fascinating. The, the actual mixing of the formula and, and that part of it, to turn it into, you know, the co- chemical compounds and the medicine you need to turn that into a hard pill that you take. I find that fascinating.
1: It was interesting to see. It was mm-hmm. really, really interesting to see um, the process from um, what you had in the manufacturing formula. Right. And then you had to test the products. For example, when there were new products that the, the company was um, making, yeah. So you had to validate that the um, process and that the pr- drug pro um, products were um were up to par, so that Health Canada or um would um certify them as right. being okay. So you had the um, validation of the drug itself, of the manufacturing itself, of the drug in the um, um packaging. Right. So even the packaging um has to be validated to make sure that it's written properly. There are no mistakes. It re- it's written in English and French and so
0: on and so on. Right.
1: So I was part of um, um
0: of that process. I would, uh, I would think that the stakes would be pretty high in, uh, in that kind of work.
1: It is, it is. And that's why in um, pharmaceuticals, it's very um, strict. So you have um, very strict guidelines so that the drugs that are produced, well, um, are safe. So um, the safety regulations are very high. Right. So um, when you, for example, when you're doing the manufacturing, um, me, I was working in the um, sterile uh, manufacturing, so okay. um, injectable drugs. So um, when entering the manufacturing area, it's a um, um, sterile. It's right. a sterile environment where you have to suit up. So there's a whole process of gowning, and entering the uh the the you know the um
0: manufacturing environment ah yeah so it's very stringent very strict right yeah i mean as as you would imagine as you would as you would want you you want the uh pills you're taking to be exactly what you think i suppose Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so then yeah so okay so you were doing that for a while
1: yeah. So I did that for a while. And then I lost my job. There was a, the company was brought, um, bought by an international um, company. Right. And there was a ser- series of lay, um, um, laying offs, Yeah, Is that the term? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, so I was part of that. Like it was yeah. crazy, like two, two weeks before Christmas, Uh-oh. um, uh, uh-huh. You know, um, there were a series. You know, uh, thirty people being <laughs> being shown the doors, and after that, another fifty um, people being sh- shown the door. So wow. I was part of that. Yeah. So um, I just said to myself, you know what? I don't want to be in my, um, in pharmaceuticals anymore. So I'll just um, do something else. Right. So that's when um, I. Um, l- search did some soul searching to find mm. out you know what did i really want to do now um what best fits me my character and what i want in life right. and that's when i remembered ooh, ot <laughs> that's fun huh. so um yeah so that's where ot came in so um now the problem was you know um to find an OT program right. that was not too long yep. <laughs> to do because um, I was married, kids, house, and the whole shebang. Exactly. And um reinventing myself at, you know, at that later stage in life. Right. So it had to be quick and dirty. Right. So mm-hmm. I was really lucky um, at the same time out that I was doing that intros- introspection. Um, McGill um, was putting together a, a new OT and PT program. Oh, cool. For... Great school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I was part of the first year cohort of the new program. And it was a two-year, two years, two, two years, two year, two years and a half program. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, yeah, so full-time um very hard i was going full-time working part-time um during evenings nights um again in um, intellectual disability right um um, to sustain um the the uh my obligations absolutely life you know because i still had to
0: pay the bills go ahead sorry i was gonna say had you moved the whole family to montreal no, because I was living in Montreal.
1: Ah. Yeah. So, so but back, back then, back then, you know, it, it was Montreal. This is where I did my um, bachelor's and um, master's in biomedical engineering. Right. And then I moved to Toronto and I was working with an international company um, in a pharmaceuticals that was um, um, where I would have to travel. So, I would have to. I would spend, you know, weeks to months in France, oh, wow. um, United States. And then I did that for a couple of years until right. before returning to Montreal. And that's where um, I worked again in pharmaceutical manufacturing and eventually um, ended up going to McGill doing a master's in um, um, occupational therapy.
0: Okay. Right. So, that so you said that was about two years.
1: Yeah, about two years, um, a two-year program, let's say, mm-hmm. and um, that was it was very very good. It was very interesting. First cohort, so you know, um, we were the uh, um guinea pigs of the program, I right, guess. right. But it went very well. It was um it, very good
0: program that must have been a lot that's really different from the pharmaceutical training isn't it it's very person centered well
1: it is it is um but even it, it is it is um now it's um um really working with patients directly right so it's really hands on um so but for me it was not really um a big difference because huh. what the, the work that I yes. did before was hands on with right. patients. Right. So, right. Um, so for me, it was a good fit. Because right. That's what true. I was always looking for was a balance between science, you know, and um, healthcare. Gotcha. So initially my thought with biomedical engineering was to have that balance. Right. And, um, eventually i ended up in with occupational therapy
0: interesting mm-hmm. interesting and and when uh when you were training to be in ot uh at mcgill um did you like did you have uh training that you would do like what was the training were you doing like work placements as well and yeah, how did that go yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah so basically it's um you have the um the classes Mm -hmm. so um and then um during the summertime, well the first year after the first year um the first summer were two placements and then you choose the placements that you want so you had four placements to do so um, in different fields for example mental health um pediatrics um and um re- rehabilitation so you, you s- s- if i remember correctly because now it's um it's a couple of years back that's right but you had maybe let's say you had three out of four that were core um placements that you had to do and then right. you chose
0: one you chose one or two placements gotcha gotcha um, um of your choice right and i mean um, yeah you were probably pretty ahead of the game, considering your work that you did while you were in school was basically, in terms of how you're serving the clients, pretty much identical.
1: Exactly for for me, for me, I I, I saw it especially when compared to the other students, yeah. which never, um, which did not have that hands-on experience, right? Um, I was like, I was like a fish returning to water, right. Um, where um, meeting clients, meeting patients,, you yeah. know, being hands-on, um, touching people, right um, was, was natural for me, you know,
0: right. You were already comfortable with that side of it.
1: I was really comfortable for that um, with that because back with intellectually disability, you know, I, right. um, I dressed people, I fed people. I I washed, bathed, did
0: everything. So yeah, um, as soon as you're, once you're, once you're at that point, you are, there's no, there's nothing else left. Like if you've dressed a person, if you've changed a person after they've soiled themselves or whatever, like you've reached that pinnacle of uh of intimacy yeah. that yes. with, you know on that level where it's like okay there's no secrets between us yeah no 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 there's no
1: there's no shyness well actually I should say there is some in, in the sense that yeah. during one of my placements that yeah. was so funny uh-huh. if um when it comes to shyness yeah and, uh, dressing yeah one of I had a patient mm-hmm. that was an a boss of mine.
0: Oh, when I was
1: in pharmaceutical manufacturing. No way. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then I didn't like when um I had to go see that patient it's like, well, it's so and so. I said, well, it can't be so and so because they're not sick. Yeah. So, well, okay, maybe there's two of them but anyways so when I ended up going in in the room and seeing the the patient in the bed it's like oh my god it is so and so what are you doing here it's like okay well she explained to me what 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 has gone um, what 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 has happened in her life you know she got she was ill yeah and um, I was there in her room and we had to undress her and uh, to, um, you know, do what we were there to do. Right. But you and already then, knew her.
0: So it's so different.
1: It was so different. Exactly. <laughs> and, and it was, and I said, you know what, do you mind? Um, I can, I can leave. She said, no, 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 don't worry. You're here to learn. um This is your, your job now. So do what you have to do. I yeah. Say, okay, let's do it.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that, that was the the only time I I, I can remember where yeah. there was that oh fa- you know that E factor
0: that would make sense having already known the person that mm-hmm. does change the dynamic a whole lot mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. in such a different uh, industry and oh yeah oh, uh, yeah and I know yeah. I it's funny I don't know if I've told you this but I uh, I worked as a um, PSW for just a little bit. Uh, what is and, a PSW? Uh, a uh, primary support worker. I think the P stands for primary. Uh, okay. Basically, uh, we would do the least desirable tasks that a nurse might do. All the okay. unskilled, undesirable tasks that uh, that a uh, that actually that that comes off as a bit insulting. Um, that's not true at all. Like there is a lot of skill and compassion involved. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was it was the the jobs that didn't require as much as much skill to do like you didn't deal with Mm -hmm. any of the medications anything like that but Mm -hmm. uh, anyways I I you know remember what it was like to have to change people and deal with that and it was really really tough for me I I could tell that I wasn't meant for that type of work even Mm -hmm. though I was really compassionate and people really liked me I the that side of things was really hard and uh and then it's just so happened that one day uh one of the male uh individuals there had stolen a woman's uh one of the female residents cardigan and he was mm-hmm. wearing it on the floor and I tried to to stop him and get the card cardigan back and mm-hmm. uh this guy punched me right in the face oh, and God. uh and I was like it it didn't hurt a whole lot but it was a it was a wake-up call and uh and i quit the next i quit that day Mm -hmm. and then and then the that same day uh, a colleague from neil squire messaged me about a job opening (laughs) okay it couldn't (laughs) have happened more perfectly but i totally feel you the compassion and and that like that's that's a really special skill to have to be able to to do that and, and sharing that with someone i think
1: yeah yeah and, and i i guess you wouldn't you maybe you would have loved it in in the uh intellectually intellectually disability field because there was yeah. a, a lot of violence a lot of um you know um when people just um um have um difficult moments yeah. they can be very physically um violent and you know restraining them you know was was part of the job
0: right part of the job yeah yeah that that'd be that'd be tough uh <laughs> which i suppose like you're not really having to do anything like that as an OT right because they're all very willing participants well actually it
1: depends uh, on what um on where you work as an OT ah because that's a good point we could start with that as what does an OT where does an OT work
0: yeah please um
1: an OT before getting to what an OT does yeah um OT, an OT can work in a lot of diverse environment. You can have OTs in rehab, a rehab center. You can have them working in in, an elderly um, um, home. Right. Um, You can have OTs working in the hospitals, working in schools with children that have learning disabilities or difficulty writing or with behavioral issues. You can have OTs working in um in insurance <laughs> um environment. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Evaluations. Um what else? You can have OTs working in um 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 uh, rehab, um, for right. example, or, or after surgeries. Right. Um rehab after um um like hand, um, hand surgeries, for example, or stroke, or um, hip, um, or um, knee replacements, right? Um, so it's very diverse, very diverse. Right. So mental health, oh, how could I forget mental health, mm-hmm. mental health OTs. So um, with mental health OTs, if you work in the community, you could work in the um, mental um, health hospital. Um, you could work in, um, um, you know, intensive care mental right. health hospital units where, it, you, the, the the patients that are there are in crisis. They're right. in crisis mode, so they can be really um violent physically and um verbally so right. if you're working in that kind of a setting you're gonna have some days that are pretty hectic yeah you could also work in um in the um in
0: prisons i was just gonna say that yeah mm-hmm. so it's a very diverse so then we've, okay. So we talked about where, so let's, let's mm-hmm. talk about what, so what are, let's talk about the, the, what then.
1: Again, mm-hmm. I mean, it's very diverse really? as, as, as work as a work. Yeah. And maybe that's why also it's very hard for people to understand what does an OT do? Right. Right. Because it's so diverse. It's mm-hmm. not like um, physiotherapy where when, you know, when you say physio to someone, well, a person has a picture of what a physio does, right? And,
0: and the and context so, is very much the same. It's in an office with someone, and exactly, and they're doing rehab job. You know, they're right.
1: with a physio. They're helping people, you know, learn how to walk or um, you know use a prosthesis or doing some exercises, some stretching, and so on. So it's really clear of what a physio does, and a lot of time. People have the experience of going to a physiotherapist, you know. For example, at work, and then you've hurt yourself, or you're um, you've done a sport, or you slipped on ice, and then you hurt your back, and then you go to a physio um, for some work, right? So, um, but with the occupational therapist, it's not that as clear. Mm. So basically what the um, um, occupational therapist will do is um, mainly using um, activities as a treat treatment modality as a treatment uh. intervention so basically um <clears throat> for example um, let's say it's the mental health environment right so you would um, address the, um, the mental health of your patient by, um, incorporating, um, positive activities that they, um, may perform during the day so that they can manage, they can better manage their mental health. For example, you could teach them, um, meditation skills um you could you could use for example let's say um, you, you have activities for, that are very personalized like the person likes going for a walk or going swimming. Right. so you could use that as a program so let's say you you build a weekly schedule where they have um, once or twice of swimming during the day, and the swimming will address physical health and mental health. Right. So that's just a simple example. So if it's, um, let's say, if it's rehab, well, that's a bit more clear-cut as Mm. what OT does. For example, an OT in a rehab setting could work, for example, with, um, um, uh, let's say the patient is um, has a stroke and right. they need to learn how to dress because they have um, less um, control of their leg or their yeah. arm. So they need to learn how to put their pants on, how to take them off, how to put their... You know, their top on and off, how to put buttons and so on and so on, how to tie their shoes. So an OT will work with them to teach them how to do all these tasks, right. learn how to do all these daily activities. For example, if they've lost a leg or both legs and they are using a, um, a, a cane or a wheelchair, an OT will work with them to teach them how to use the wheelchair, how to, let's say it's a manual wheelchair, how to, how to maneuver the propulsion of the wheelchair. If right. it's an um, electric wheelchair, how to maneuver the electric wheelchair in different kind of settings, you know, in a corridor, tight space, in uh, taking an elevator. Um Going and using the um, the electric wheelchair in town. So how to um, negotiate curves and so on and so on. What um, sidewalks? So that's what an OT will do, right? So if it's um, with um, children, for example, in a school setting, so a child that has behavioral issues, then an OT can work with the child to um, 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 propose intervention on how to better um, gauge or have a better insight of what's going on um, right. um, emotionally and right. how to better deal with these emotions by uh, performing certain activities. For example, if the child has ADHD and is becoming restless, then hmm. we could say, well, um, this child in in in, their, in the class, well, will not be sitting in a regular chair, but will be sitting in a stool. Okay. That ha- that has that can pivot, you know that that has ha- like a ball stool or yeah. even on a on a ball, right? You know, so that the, the child is always bouncing around. but staying in place at the same time. So that's something that an OT um, in the school setting could do. Uh, I never thought of that in
0: the school setting at all.
1: Yeah. For example, if it's a child that needs to, that has difficulty with um, dexterity. So the child um, um, has difficulty holding um, a pen and pencil or scissors or Then an OT will work with the child um, to um, get better postural control so um, that the trunk is controlled better so that they um, stand and sit um, with a uh, more controlled manner. Right. Um, They would do different exercises like in the gym, like in a jungle gym, so that the child learns to control control their control their muscles um, and to control their body in space, right So like balance and um, and so on. So that in this and when it comes to the um, writing, then you work on the hand dexterity, hand control, how to um, hold a pen and pencil that better fits the ability of the child because maybe, they have a muscle weakness that um, does not allow them to grasp properly. So you could teach them um, alternate ways of grasping the pen and pencil or offer um, technical aids that can help them hold the pencil.
0: Uh-huh. Like a
1: ball, for example, a ball that has a hole where you can put the pencil in there in, in the ball. Yeah, so exactly. Instead of holding the pencil, the, Teeny, teeny tiny pencil they're holding the bigger ball yeah so it's easier for them to write with that so that's an example of intervention that an um, OT could do in the school setting
0: do you work with schools a lot um
1: sometimes sometimes but it's mainly for um ergonomics right. so that's another thing that um, oh. um occupational therapists can do are ergonomic um, assessments right. where the um, posture and um, environment um, are are um, are adapted, right, to reduce the risks of injury to the to to the to the to the to the, to the patient or to the client. So um, in the work setting, an OT can do. Um, Ergonomics. So, for example, if a patient has carpal tunnel um, um, risk injuries, so I can um, evaluate what the uh, the client does, what kind of work, right. work that they do, yep. and see how the work increases the risk of injuries to the risk. So right. then I will address that by proposing um, intervention to reduce these risks. Right. So it could be um, doing stretches um, every half hour. Um, it could be um, changing the, the angle of the keyboard, angle of the keyboard support, um, adding different technical aids so that the, um, the adequate, optimal angle of the risk is maintained so that the risks of injuries are reduced over time. Right. And um, if, an, if a patient has had an injury and was off work for, for a couple of weeks or months, when they're going back, um, an OT um, um, ha- works with them to reintegrate their job so right. that's a return to work um, um, evaluation. So that the and the way the return to work works is that the patient does not return to work at a hundred percent of 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 their capacity. Right. So there will be returning to work gradually right. in time. So let's say that we're working full time. So they will start with one day a week and um, for two or three weeks. And then if everything goes well with one day a week, we add um, two days a week. Right. And there's also the notion of the effort, work effort. Right. So let's say that during <clears throat> normal time, they lift, um, I don't know, let's say 100 pounds of boxes a day. Right, so now that we they're returning to work and they're only able to to lift 10 pounds right. of boxes a day. right. So we'll start with 10 pounds a, a day for two weeks, right and then gradually increase the the weight of of, of weight that they're doing um, with over time approaching what they used to um, do, um, in
0: with their um, 100% capacity. Right. So it sounds like accommodations, just like children in school with learning disabilities, accommodating and changing the schedule can just can do a ton, right?
1: Yeah, very much. So in the, in the case of the uh, return to work, the objective of the return to work is for the um, patient or client to return to 100% of what they used to do. Right. So 100% of their time and 100% of their um the effort of their task. But right. sometimes it's not possible because their injury has reduced their capacity. So let's say now um they before the injury they had both arms and they had an injury now that they lost an arm. So they only have one arm. Yeah. So then it's impossible for them to return to their regular work. So now right. you have to um, do a, um, an, eval- an evaluation there of their work capacity, right, right. and to find a, um, a job that fits their new abilities. And that's another thing that occupational therapists do. Which mm. is um, uh, job job analysis, right? Job task analysis, right? We can go into a job environment mm-hmm. and analyze the um, the demands right. of the job on a person, yeah. so that we say that okay, the job requires this dexterity, lifting in such, you know, how many um um. Weight, how much weight per per hour? Um, how do they lift? You know, over their heads or from the floor to to waist level. Right. Um, what distance they walk and so on, and then we can um, analyze what the job demands, and then match that to what the person can do with right. their new um, physical reality. You know. Right. Um, after their injury
0: right so maybe it's an entirely new
1: position for them exactly so if there's a big discrepancy between the person's capacity and the job requirements then right. we will recommend that they do another job because now for example the job um, um, their ability will be for example sedentary so it'll be a desk job instead of being um being able to work in construction Uh, yeah
0: yeah yeah no that makes sense uh and actually that made me think uh this might be a dumb question so like when someone is injured on the job are Mm -hmm. and it's you know not their fault is it illegal for the employer to fire them as a result of that or do they have to try and accommodate them and this is kind of where this all comes into play or how does that yeah
1: they should they should try to accommodate them because there's a protection of um job
0: protection right okay
1: so um the 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 um the employee the employer has to accompany the as best as possible the employee in their rehab and in their return to work. So, for example, when I perform a return to work, it's in conjunction with the um, employee and the employer. Right. So the three of us are sitting around the table and planning their return to work. So everyone is on uh, on the same page. So- That That makes sense. so for the best success when returning to work, um, it's better that the employee feels
0: supported um by the employer. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh so uh, obviously, yeah, best approach, best practice, everyone, everyone working together. And I'm sure the employers, you know, typically want to do right by the employee and
1: yes yes typically yes yeah you
0: you find sometimes is are there sometimes some in certain fields some resistance like it's a little harder in certain contexts than others to make that happen for sure
1: for sure because you could have um um, employers and employees which have who have um difficult relationships in the past right and um that difficulty does not disappear after the injury or during the return to work, that difficulty, that difficult relationship is still present. It's probably magnified even deal with that. Yeah. You have to find a middle ground and then try to address the, the issues that the um, employer has and the, the issues that the employee has. Right. And that's a bit tricky because, you know, um, as the ot i'm working for the employee right but at the same time i'm i'm a bridge between the employer and the employee right so um sometimes it's
0: um it can be difficult yes
1: and the employer
0: is the one paying you right
1: well In a it, sense. It's, well um not really because okay. it depends for example if the if the person is um on um like work safe uh, okay. um, disability then the, the payment scheme um varies so uh, okay. it depends so if if the let's say if it's a return to work and they're on um work safe um disability then yeah work safe will be um um is the third is the payer right right but sometimes um, the employer may want to do prevention. Uh, so for example, um, if they have um, a lot of injuries in a certain department, yeah, then they could ask me to come and, and do the, a job analysis, a task analysis, and to see how the, the employees... <laughs> Are do are doing the jobs and how um i could intervene or do suggest modifications of the tasks so that the risk of injuries are lessened right so in that case then it's the employer that is um paying for the uh assessments and interventions
0: okay okay and 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 it kind of makes me think, too, like, what happens when uh, the employer is a very small-scale employer and and they don't have that amount of flexibility? Uh, I guess, like, they just try their hardest. Do do you ever, does a part of what an OT uh, does, let's say there's a circumstance where that individual can't return to their workplace they were injured from, do you what happens in terms of trying to find that person new employment if that old place of work doesn't work at all? Does it, does it ever get there or is that someone else's department? Yeah, it, is, poss- it uh-huh. is possible. It is
1: possible. It is possible. So my job as EOT will say, um, the patient, the the job requires the the this and that abilities. Right. These are the tasks. And the F the um, the effort that the job requires, right. And now the the patient is not able to um, to reach that level of effort. Okay? Yeah. So um, I will say then it is um, um, and the the patient should be, um, assign another job right so let's say in your example there is no other job right so now the patient will have to find another job and it will have to be directed to services that perform that task
0: okay so, so mm-hmm.
1: some ot's do do that where they will perform the um um the job analysis um Match, right. so there there are um, databases okay. where um, you can find um, different jobs and the different um, skill level, um, physical demands, mental demands of of, of the job, and uh, you as the OT you match that with the um, with the patient, right. And then you can say, okay, with these with these um, levels of um, of abilities, these are the um, job kinds of jobs that the patient could be doing from now on. Right. Right. Yeah. That so makes you sense. could. Um, yeah. So I could. A OT could give the patient that and then um, link or liaise with other agencies now that do the, um, the job search, you know, using those criterias,
0: you know, that the OT has provided. Right. And I mean, we have job placement people at Neil Squire. So I imagine like I, it might work differently depending on the employer, but I imagine we'd be able to, Match someone with a job through, exactly. through that avenue as well, right? Exactly. <laughs> that they would be
1: using let's the OT report that right. says now that the patient has these abilities. Right. And they have these um qualifications and um they would like to work in you know um these different areas. Right so we would propose a couple of areas and then the job search people now could would be able to start the job search and
0: support the person right in, in in that aspect right and they'd have all the information medically um that leads me to wonder too how often are you doing ergonomic assessments versus you know people that are injured because i feel like not enough attention, I'm sure you'd agree vehemently with me, not enough attention is paid to good ergonomics in an office environment.
1: Yes, it's 100%, I agree with you. And um, a, a good example was with, uh, with COVID. Yeah. When COVID hit, right. um, everyone was kicked out of the office and forced to work from home. Right. But almost no one had the proper equipment. Correct. <laughs> and I was one of them <laughs> uh, where I was working on my kitchen table. Exactly. <laughs> with a regular kitchen chair, wooden kitchen chair. Yep. Um, on the laptop. Um, And seriously, after... 3 weeks i start to have aches and pains yeah after a couple of days i had to put a, a cushion on my chair yeah um i i was stretching every you know every couple of minutes because of aches and pains um it was it was dreadful yeah and it does not take a long time like 2, two 3 weeks a month Yeah, And then the aches in Spain, the aches and pain will start. So that was, for me, a a personal experience, you know, a personal experience of from one day to the next of a change of work environment and how that work (laughs) environment, if it's not properly ergonomically um, designed, will right. impact right the body
0: and obviously yeah. you know there's it's hard to describe it uh auditorily there's a big visual component but i mean namely i would guess that the issue with the kitchen table which is that which is what probably almost everyone was doing is that you don't want your hands to be like upraised that high do you like that position it, for, is really that is,
1: position. you're exactly right you have the what you want to do you, when in Ergon- the, uh, optimal ergonop- ergonomic posture right. is to everyone has seen that 90 degree, you know, a person sitting in a, in, in a, in a seat with their feet on the ground, knees at around 90 degrees, yeah. hips at around 90 degrees and their, um, elbows close to their body with the keyboard Um, with their um, elbow at around 90 degrees with their head straight. So basically that would be the, you know, optimal, you know, um, ergonomic position when sitting for um, working on a computer. Right. But with the kitchen table, it's going to be too high. So your arms will be raised. So Mm -hmm. that means your elbows are um, wider um. Besides yeah. your body, your shoulders are raised. Um. Towards your um. Your ears. Um. You're hunched over the table. Um. You're not a Um. At a hundred degrees towards the back, but you're leaning forward. So that's putting a lot of pressure at your lower back. So just that position right. will be affecting your shoulders, your neck your upper um um upper back at at around the scapula yeah um lower back the your lumbar region just that position which is um stooping forward on the table will
0: cause aches and pains in those areas right and and like let's talk about a fix a 20 dollar keyboard tray from amazon is pretty much going to solve that part of the problem right for sure for sure at least the angle and
1: and that is for him i'll talk again with my personal experience yes. you know with that covid and that's exactly what i did yeah after a couple of months of of aches and pains i finally decided to say you know what okay this i'm i'm i have to i'm an ot and yeah. i'm not really <laughs> taking care of myself right so now that's what i'll be doing so i bought myself a sit stand table where mm-hmm. i'm able to um, raise and lower the table um, to the proper height that i need um <clears throat> I bought a task chair, an office chair, Mm -hmm. which has um, all the, I wouldn't say the bells and whistles, but it can be, it's fully adjustable. Yeah, you've got some support there. Exactly, it's fully adjustable. So if you can have a chair that all the components can move, that is the best. So, Because everyone's body is different. Right, you could have. You could be long. You could be tall. You could be short. Long legs and so on. Right. Um, wider hips um, and smaller hips. If you can have a work chair that is fully adjustable, that is the best. And then right. i got a, um, a support um, and artic- articulated arms.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: For my monitor. So Mm -hmm. I have a monitor on on one arm and a laptop with a holder on the other arm so that I can uh, position it at the proper height and distance and angle from me. Right. And um, with that, I was able to um, adjust my sitting posture um, at the at um, at a mo- optimal point. Yeah. And the good thing also with a sit stand um, table is that you can work standing and sitting. And one of the ergonomic yeah. principles again is that you do not want to um, maintain a posture for a prolonged amount of time. Right. So you don't want to be a statue. Right. So, and then you, the, what the um, um, sit-stand table will allow you to do is to change between sitting and standing postures while keeping um, your productivity. So you can work standing and you can work sit- sitting.
0: Yeah. I would like to have one of those. I have, I have the arms and I mean, talking about cost, like those monitor arms, again, 20, 30 bucks on Amazon and you're solving a problem that I feel like people don't pay enough attention to, which is that whatever monitor you buy uh, on its normal stand, it's not going to be at the, what are the chances that the monitor you buy is going to be at the right height just by default for your eyes? Well, you are right, but you are
1: you have um, different um, possibilities of interventions. Right. To, okay, I'd like um, to hear those. Yeah. Um. To uh. To accommodate the height. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you could use the um reticulated arms that we just discussed. Right. Mm-hmm. You could use a monitor support. Right. So you have different kinds of supports. You have um supports that are um static. Right. So um, it's like a a, a book, mini bookshelf, right? That you put your uh, your monitor on top of that.
0: Ah, and so that's a no monitor, tech option.
1: Yeah, that's the low tech. Yeah. But initially, for example, again, um, during COVID, um, after a couple of weeks, what I did before buying um everything that I just mentioned, yeah, I just use what I had around the house right. So I, I use um, um, card bought um, carton boxes um, to raise the monitors. Hmm. I use books to raise the monitors. Um, I used a um, towel, a rolled up towel um, to make a makeshift um, palm rest. Gotcha. Um, I used a uh, cushion or gel pillow for the modifying the height of of the seat. Right. So there are do-it-yourself options, yeah. mm-hmm. but um, if if you want to buy equipment, then there are different options um, already um, pre-made. So you have that shelf. Um, um, so uh, monitor support you have monitor supports also which um which come with like legs that are like blocks like lego blocks yeah so you add blocks to 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 raise it or remove the blocks to to lower it but it after you found your height it's static you just leave it there right yeah so there are a lot of options. You were mentioning the, um, the, um, keyboard support. Well, you yeah. we have keyboard supports that you can install under the, uh, the surface, um, the underside of your desk. Exactly. And That's what I have. Those are what you find a lot in the office. Um, exactly. Spaces. Yeah. But they have to be installed Well, they have to be adjusted properly because uh, you can have them and say, okay, I'm set. I yeah. know I will, you know, I've, I'm risk-free. I reduce my risk of injury, but in reality, you can raise your risk of injury because it's not adjusted properly.
0: Right. Right. For
1: example, with the um support, with the keyboard support, a lot of times when I walk in into the office, I will see that the angle of the keyboard is raised so that when the, pay- when the, Client is typing, right? They're typing like with the um, risks like if they were doing a high five.
0: Uh Uh-huh. So not a natural position. Yeah. And that's
1: not well, it's what what it does is by having your your risk raised like that, and then you're typing day in and day out for months and years, right? What it does is the tendons and nerves that are in the wrist are being compressed. Mm -hmm. And it's that friction that creates the, over the years, the carpal tunnel. Right. So what you do not want is to have the angle um, of the support in that way so that your wrists are like in a high five position. You want the angle of the support to be pointing down um towards your your um your feet your toes right so it's like when you see the uh the keyboard it's like it's upside down basically instead of pointing upwards it's pointing downwards to the ground right and people it's like oh my god that is so strange but what i explained to them is that well within that position they are able to keep their wrists in a neutral position. Right. So in the same angle as the um, the forearm. So right. it's like putting a 30, 30 centimeter um, ruler on the arm and hand and everything is, is on the same
0: axis. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could probably, it sounds like you could almost have a full time job consulting offices and at home workers, just, just getting, giving hints for their positioning. You are
1: totally right. That's an interesting idea. Very very much so. Hmm. Because a lot of, a lot of the aches and pains are, are, are due to two things in a work area, well, in the office area. Either posture that is, that is maintained for prolonged time or repetitive movement movements. Right. So with the ergonomics, you're going to address these two um, heightened risks of injury by um, um, offering a optimal posture, right. Optimal positioning and a way to reduce the amount of time that you, you, are um that you do not move right or reduce the amount of excessive movements that you perform. Right so if you for example if you are in an office environment where you have almost no possibility of movement. So you're sitting eight days eight, eight hours a day. Yeah five days a week. So that person is is um, what I will propose to that person is to move more yeah so one example is the sit stand desk so that I will tell them okay you will change your regular desk with sit stand desk so that every half hour every hour you work standing and then you switch um, from working standing and working sitting right I will, um, introduce exercises during the day. So I offer them to use a timer because, you know, when you work, you lose track of time. So suddenly you're sitting after True. you're sitting at your desk for three hours and yeah. you don't notice it.
0: Right. It's only
1: when you, your back starts um, aching that you say, oh my God, it's been three or four hours. So one suggestion is to use an alarm. So yeah, use your alarm to um to ring every hour every 45 minutes and then you you stand up you do a couple of stretchers for one or two minutes and then you sit down again and you continue working and you do that every 45 minutes to an hour right so simple things like that because our bodies are not made to be static like a statue right and they're not made to be, working in, uh, like, robots
0: in um factory environment. Exactly. It's funny. It's like, number one way to hurt yourself, move too much. Number two, move too little.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's like Goldilocks. You have yeah. to find
0: the middle ground. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think as a society, as humans right now in 2023, we're leaning towards the sedentary uh, a little too much, right? So it's, of Yeah. For sure, for sure,
1: and a lot of times, you know, um, I have to remind my my clients to to be more active. Yeah. Um. To take to take their breaks because people okay they'll take their breaks sitting down at yeah. their Healthy. work at their computer they don't move. Healthy. I will tell them, oh, I see you. You have your water your water bottle with you, and you're always taking a sip. Well, don't keep it on your desk. Keep it on that table that's at you know um, five meters from you right so that you get up, go get your sip and come back right So like every time you want to get a sip you have to get up and walk a bit and come back. so just those little things will make a difference. yeah take the don't take the elevators right take the stairs go for a walk at lunchtime right simple things like that be active after work
0: yeah it's true if everyone and of course you know i'm as guilty as other people if everyone did that stuff there probably these issues wouldn't be as compounded right but we're sedentary at work and at home that's when we're really running into trouble i think you're totally right um so Man, that's a lot of that's a lot of good stuff. And I like that. I like that you outlined uh, a lot of ways that accommodations can be made without like there's obviously the sit stand desks. But, you know, you mentioned the towel, you mentioned the blocks on the monitor, the accommodations can be made you know very very cheaply if you don't have the money to buy the things as long as you kind of know the fundamentals of what you're aiming for and know the posture is probably the most important part right like know the posture you're aiming for and if you can whatever lego pieces and building blocks you need to put together to make that posture happen it's probably okay right you're
1: exactly and every time i meet my clients (laughs) i always tell them i'm cheap right I don't like spending when I don't when I when I don't have to. Perfect. So I I I approach the um the ergonomics in the same way. Yeah. So for example, um with the keyboard and mouse. A lot of people have the regular keyboards with the uh, number pad on the right. right. So the keyboard is longer. So because of that, if you're right-handed, you will be maneuvering your mouse, you know, far away on your right of your body so Makes that sense. your arm is extended. Right. So that puts pressure on your shoulders mm-hmm. and on, on, on the um, right side of your neck. So on the long run, it, it, it increases the risk of injury. Right. So the best thing, the um, optimal posture is to maneuver your mouse as close with your arm, as close as possible to your to to your body, mm. so the ch- me as being cheap. Right. What I will propose is well, option one, the cheap one. You take your mouse from the right side of your keyboard and you place it on the r- the left side of your keyboard. Mm. So now you're maneuvering your mouse with your left hand, very close to your keyboard and very close to your bo- with your arm very close to your body. Right. So, no expenditure there. No, not at all. That's right. Option two: if you have a, <laughs> if you have a, a bit of money, then you can ch- change the um, regular elongated keyboard with a mini keyboard. Yeah. Basically, the mini keyboard is the um, the laptop keyboard. Yeah. Okay.
0: I have so one right have in front of me.
1: Exactly. So you have the laptop keyboard, and then you can center it yeah, with your exactly. body. And then the center of your keyboard is the Y key. So the cent- the Y key is on the same axis as your belly button. Ah. So that when you're typing, your arms and hands are in the same or closer to your body and in the same axis.
0: That's a good concrete yeah. tip right there lined up yeah, with the yeah, yes, right.
1: i'm giving all of my secrets to you are you've given some good tidbits so with that mini keyboard then you can um maneuver your your mouse if you're right-handed very close to your um to your keyboard and then your arm very close to your body and the right. same thing for your left hand right and then option three if you are in a job that requires the uh, the number pad, so you don't like using the numbers at Correct. the top of the keyboard. You like closing your uh, your eyes and just you know typing yeah. away um, um, on your on your number pad. Yeah. Then the third option is to have a separate yeah um, number pad that you can place anywhere when you need it. So for example, you need that number pad. You can place it on the left of your keyboard and use your left hand to type your numbers and then keep mousing on the right, um, with your right hand. Yeah. So your left hand, you, it's like sharing you the love. So yeah. the, your left hand is doing some work now that it didn't do and, um, before, Your right arm is closer to your body because the number pad is close to um, um, the keyboard on the left. And then the right arm and hand are close to your body because the mouse is close to the keyboard. And that would be like the optimal setup with the most um, expenditure.
0: Yeah and again you're talking about most expenditure I mean I just bought I just bought one of those mini keyboards I have a Logitech bluetooth one that doesn't need to have a cord attached to it for like $30 those mm-hmm. numpad keyboard things are like you can find them for $20 I'm sure uh, Exactly so exactly. it's not even incredibly uh it's not a tough it's not a lot of money yeah it's some money and I wonder too do you have any thoughts on those cuz I've been finding uh now that I have a bluetooth keyboard that's not plug directly into my uh device i i really like the flexibility and i'm realizing there might be an advantage in wireless keyboards for people well what are your thoughts for me
1: when i meet my clients i Hmm. i i give them the choice because with the wireless you the attractiveness is the fact that um it, especially if you're using a sit stand um, right. environment, yeah, then it's, it's it's nice to have an um, uh, um, a wireless keyboard. Right. But I remind them that the wireless keyboards requires batteries, so they'll be changing batteries um, ever so often. True. But again, depending on usage, it could be a year or it could be oh, a yeah. year. Mm-hmm. So it really depends. Um, <clears throat> What I like also with the wireless keyboards is especially if you're using different devices, let's say you have a windows device. Yeah. And then you're working also with a Mac device. Yeah, exactly. One possibility is having a wireless Bluetooth um, um, multi-device keyboard and multi-device mouse where in a, in a click of a button, you're switching between computers seamlessly.
0: Yeah, and I have that. And it, seriously, this Logitech keyboard's amazing. It was, I think, it was about thirty dollars on Amazon, and it has three uh, switches right at the top: one, two, three. Mm-hmm. So you can seamlessly switch exactly like that. Exactly, it's a multi-device uh, keyboard.
1: Yeah. So that is excellent when you have um, you when you want to have one keyboard to um uh, connect to multiple devices you know with uh, up to three devices
0: yeah and like and like you said about moving your body the advantage too is like i can take the keyboard put it in my lap lean back and type mm-hmm. a few sentences out in a new position kind of stretch myself and move while i'm still working Yep. Yeah. so exactly. i've been i've been liking that as well uh man lots of good tidbits so far um all right, well let's let's get into. I had some I had some questions that I want to get to because man, we've been just blazing on through, and here we are. <laughs> you know, an hour and some uh, time elapsed already. Um, okay, let's start with one of your. I want to know anything that comes to mind as the most a really interesting uh, or uh, challenging stories. It could be a success story or just an ongoing challenge. Kind of any any one that's particularly interesting that you can think of. Um, I had
1: I had one client that was really interesting because it was in the inter intersection of ergonomic, of OT and um, e health. Okay. And um, that client was in another province. Yeah. And um, I uh, did the evaluation online. So okay. it's part of um, um, eHealth. Okay. And that client was a, well, is a chef. Oh, cool. And um, now they have... Um, he had, um they had to use a wheelchair yeah. to move around right and um they wanted they needed the uh kitchen to be adapted for wheelchair use oh and um so um one of the items that was needed well a couple of items that were needed were for example were like the um the measuring cups Uh, for measuring liquids. Right. Um, um, They need also something to allow them to move big pots and pans, let's say a pot pot of spaghetti sauce. Right. When it's full, it's heavy, and you're in a wheelchair, and it's piping hot. Yeah, how are you going to move it, you know, from the stove to the um, to the uh, the countertop? Right,
0: because you can't just put it in your lap. It's it's boiling hot.
1: No, it's not a good idea. If you do that.
0: <laughs> no. So
1: we we you know we had to find a solution to do that. Right. Um, they had difficulty also with their hand for cutting. So yeah. Um, um, Holding the knife and holding the uh, the vegetables or the different items to cut. So <clears throat> the evaluation, as I say, was done virtually. Okay. And um, I had to work with a um colleague that is with a uh, Neil Squire colleague that's part of the Makers Making Change yep. um group. And they were they are based in British Columbia. Ah, so I had to work virtually with them. Wow! For for the design yeah. of of one of the items um, for my client. And oh, you guys really designed
0: a whole new item. A whole new yeah yeah. What you design? designed a, a whole
1: new item that would um, be an answer. To um, my clients' challenges, so that item was for the pots and pans. Yeah. So um, what we had designed was to use the uh, the cutting the regular cutting board right. that you can find that you use at home, right. and to modify the cutting board by adding um, wheels under it, so that it could, it can be placed on a countertop and wheeled around. Ah. So we we um we played around with um different um kind of um cutting boards. Um initially it was a cutting board that looked like a, um, a ping pong racket. Okay. Um so that the the wheels were three. So you have two wheels on the front and then one wheel near the handle of the racket you know right but that's unstable because it's on three wheels Mm -hmm. three legs so then we move to well maybe not that because you know having a pot of boiling water on three legs it's it can fall easily and you don't want that right so we switch the uh the design to a rectangular um cutting board so that we could add four wheels on it so you had um two wheels that um did not had did not turn on 360 degrees right and then two wheels on on the other side that turned 360 60 degrees it's like the uh, the carts in the uh, shopping mall exactly okay so that's it's easier to push ar- to push around when you have a um, a, a full pot o- on it, right? So the the team in um, British Columbia, um, when the design was finalized, um, com- made the construction. So they made the uh, the tool. Yeah. Um I verified that um it was actually what, what I wanted. It yeah, was, they tested, they tested it to see if it worked, and then they sent it to me, then um, sent it to the, the, the client and the client tried it and it was what they wanted. It really oh, no was their, their uh their issues. Oh so wow. that was really interesting because it was a collaborative work, yeah. Where the evaluation was done virtually. right. The design was done virtually right. And um, yeah, it's uh, it was very it was it was interesting and very
0: successful. That'd be incredibly cool to be a part of that for for a few reasons. I mean, first of all, like <clears throat> to to be a part of manufacturing a new assistive device, that's amazing. And I mean, for people that don't know, uh, or I don't know for sure, but when uh, um, these products are created, they're then, they're open source. So they're available typically to be downloaded uh, and then printed from a 3D printer for, for anyone. So when we're talking about creating these new accommodations, that's then going into the atmosphere and that's that's in the zeitgeist now, like that's that's out there.
1: Well, that's one of the good things about um, makers yeah. making change at Neil Squire here. Now I'm doing a plug-in, exactly. I'm plugging in there, uh, making makers making change, is that um, the, the like you said, the designs that they do yeah. um, are available and are open source, especially the um,
0: the uh, 3D projects that they exactly. make. Exactly,
1: yeah. and I mean, how many OT
0: services? also include the potential fabrication of a brand new accommodation tool. That's really impressive that we're able to do that.
1: <laughs> it, it is, and especially with 3D printing now. Yeah. Now, now I'm, I just remembered another client that I yeah, had. Yeah, I'd love to hear about it. It was a collaborative um, work with an OT at the hospital, Okay. which had a patient, which needed to which needed to have a technical aid for writing right. so the ball the ball uh, that held a pencil that I mentioned at the uh, beginning of our talk yeah and um, it was during covid so I, I couldn't meet that 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 client at the right. hospital right so um, the the uh, the Ot at the hospital had to guesstimate the size of the, the hand of the, of the patient, which right. had a little, little hand. Uh-huh. And um, I, with a um, 3D printing uh, program, right. modified the, um, the, the, the object, the 3D object right. to make um, multiple printouts of uh, the object at different sizes. Okay. So and then, handed those um, printouts to the uh, to the OT right so that she would try them with the client to see which one better fit her hand right. So that is something again that was unthinkable exactly before three D printing yeah. So that that intervention was done again virtually without me ever meeting the patient. Right. And um, with me being able to um, modify the uh, 3D printing file and to make different different sizes of the object.
0: Right. So
1: that one better fits the, the patient.
0: I just I can't I can't talk enough and be blown away enough by the idea that we can be or we I mean you and OT can be directly in control of the manufacturing process Uh, that's that's mind blowing now obviously when we're talking about the devices that were, you know, consulting on and manufacturing, there's a certain level of technology where, you know, you're, you're going to need to, you know, that bigger companies, you know, is going to be who you're going to want. But for these uh, rather lower tech accommodations, uh, it's so perfect and so suited to, to the field and, you know, that in combination with the technology that's available, it uh, makes me think, you know, there's this very much, Room for this very niche OT that kind of works specifically with 3D printing and manufacturing specific devices for people. Exactly, exactly. And in with,
1: and I think the sky's the limit because it is. um, I'm thinking of in rehab where 3D printing can be uh, is used is used for printing. Um, artificial limbs right <laughs> that's huge and yeah so it's the sky's the limit with, with that kind of technology
0: oh exactly and 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 it's the sky's the limit and it's just the cost like you know our, our lip sync device that we that we create you know we can make it at a cost of hundreds of dollars where if you were to buy that device or a similar device from a, you know, a, a first party manufacturer, you're talking, you know, thousands of dollars. So it's, it's like a massive, massive difference in cost. For sure.
1: For sure. It, it, it brings these device it
0: makes these devices easily accessible to right. everyone. Right. Exactly. And then maybe too, like there's the fringe benefit of, with the devices being more common, more accessible, people know about it more. There's less stigma attached to it. It's more just like, oh, this is just a thing that we can do. We can we can use 3D printing to print technology that's designed to accommodate humans, and that just becomes part of what we do as humans.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, and um, also,
1: um, you, you can do the same. They, you can do the same thing for Um, are brothers and sisters that are non-human
0: yeah that's right good point yeah what am i talking about not just humans (laughs) yes (laughs) Yes. that's a great point you're right like if you had a 3d printer at home and some technical know-how and Mm -hmm. you had you know a cat that it just had an operation where its back legs were removed So I, you know, obviously there's little kitty cat wheelchairs you can buy again, Mm -hmm. I'm guessing thousands and thousands of dollars. If you had Mm -hmm. a 3d printer, a little technical know-how you could Mm -hmm. mock up and print a design. There's probably one already open source online and you can modify it, measure Mm -hmm. your specific animal yourself, create Mm -hmm. it. And and Mm -hmm. like, and then it's just the cost of the materials and your time. I mean, you can't beat that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm That's that's really exciting. Well, uh I'm now I'm really excited about all the 3D printing applications. And I had I have more, but uh honestly, I think I think we're good for today. And uh maybe some of the things that I was gonna ask you we'll will do in a return episode. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause uh, like you said, I, I really like the picture you painted for the accommodations. You gave some great suggestions for things that can be low tech and expensive and, you know, higher tech accommodations that cost a lot of money. But, you know, other than like not talking about the desks and the chairs, which are inevitably going to be uh, expensive and probably when it comes to chairs uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you're going to want to spend a little bit of money on that, right? Like, is that the thing that you don't cheap out on or how do you navigate that?
1: When it comes to the chairs, it depends. Hmm. Like I said initially, what you what the best is to have a chair that is fully adjustable. Okay, okay? Yeah, so I, I say to my clients, the the Mercedes Benz of chairs is fully adjustable, right. So you even have chairs that have, for example, lumbar support, pneumatic lumbar support, where you have an air pump right. to raise or lower, the um the support on the lower back right so the chairs um the um the price of the chair varies a lot and you are right the mercedes bands will cost an arm and a leg right but sometimes um the um the task chair, the work chair that you can find at a big box store, yeah, um, can be adequate, right? And I say that with the caveat that if the chair is bought um, and the the size of the chair, the the um, the width of the chair is not that important, meaning that the, the, the person will not be using the armrests. Right. So let's say that the person removes the armrests, then the size of the chair, the width of the chair is less important.
0: Right, right.
1: Okay? So the width of the chair is really, really important where if you use the armrests so you don't want to you want to have the armrest as close to your body as possible so let's say that your your hips are 20, 20 centimeters wide then the chair the seat should be 22 centimeters wide right. so 1 centimeter, centimeter more on the left 1 centimeter more on the on the right Right. Okay? So that the arms are close to your body. Gotcha. Because um, what you want when you're sitting optimally, you want to maintain your arms cl- close to the sides of your body and right. not having your arms wide open like if you were going to take off like a bird. Right, right, right. Okay? So... Makes sense. If you want to, if you do not want to have, to buy a really expensive chair, but you find a chair that's comfortable for you and that has um, adjustable, enough adjustable um, units, but is wider than your body. Right. If you're not, if you decide to buy that chair, I would just recommend removing the armrests. Gotcha. So that you're not tempted at putting your arms on the armrests and have your arms elevated. elevated.
0: yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, makes sense. So,
1: but other than that, yeah, the chairs should are like shoes. You should
0: fit them to your to your body. And so- I wonder, like, how often do people even do that? I, I'm thinking of myself, certainly, like. The idea of oh let me measure my body and my chair to make sure that fits like that i don't need you know what i mean that's uh, not immediately obvious to me but
1: no no it's not immediately obvious as you say mm. because um a chair is a chair, right? That's what but we think when you're do- when you're doing ergon- ergonomics, a chair uh-huh. is not a chair. <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. So make sure you fit and the points of articulation, that's kind of your, that's your uh, recommendation for shopping. Yeah. For
1: the, 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 the optimal is it's, it has to fit your body. Yeah. Right. And then when you go into that type of a chair where, um, it ha it's fully adjustable or customizable right um you better be ready to uh to pay the high price right right I and promise. and the high price means what between a thousand and
0: fifteen hundred, 1500 right right for for a chair yeah yeah but If you're sitting in that, if that's going to be what's cradling your sweet bottom for eight hours a day, five days a week, maybe it's worth it, right? It is. It is. It's like sleeping in a bad bed. right? (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly. It's a good analogy.
0: It represents enough hours of your day that, yeah, maybe deserves a little bit of attention.
1: It does. And it makes a big difference. Oh, yeah. And Especially when, when, um, when I recommend uh, to my clients for a new chair, I rec. I always tell them go by the go try the chair. Sit yes. Sit in the chair because you could have a nice looking chair, but you sit on it and then oh my god, that thing is hard because um, the the cushion is. Um, can vary. You have different density of foams, right? So that that makes a difference. You have the um, the um, upholstering makes a difference. That's true. If it's, for example, if it's in the um, not it's a non-hospital environment, right, then it could be a regular upholstering chair, right? It's a fabric. Yes. But if it's in a um, hospital environment where they need to disinfect it, mm-hmm. um, maybe the chair is used by multiple people.
0: It's porous ho- if it's fabric. That won't work.
1: Yeah. Hospitals do not allow fabric chairs anymore. They makes want sense. to have a vinyl chair. Makes sense. So when you're sitting on a vinyl chair, it mm-hmm. makes a big difference. Now it's harder.
0: Oh, yeah it's not as comfortable
1: it's not as comfortable so you have to try it and then right. you can modify the density of the foam you have the edge vary. so you have rounded edges so you have angled edges you know behind the knee yeah so that makes a difference
0: yeah yeah okay well that's cool that's like very very awesome specific advice so People that people that are listening, you've given some very specific advice for buying a chair. So this is now the uh, chair buying guide podcast twenty twenty three as well. I'll, I'll market it as such. But yes. uh, again, Elaine thanks a lot for your time. And and I actually was I'm really fascinated by a lot of the stuff, especially. Uh, when it came into play with the 3d printing that is especially it's just so cool and cutting edge and disruptive that that it makes me really excited and uh like I said I've got more but we're out of time so we'll uh, we'll schedule something in the next little bit and we'll chat again perfect I'm op- I'm just waiting for your call for awesome. Your invitation. awesome well thanks so much for your time
1: so thanks a lot Seaver. okay we'll soon. talk to you later Okay, youdo bye